0: Hey, can I have permission to be a little vulnerable with you this morning? Okay, I'm going to let you guys in on some of my insecurities. So you have to promise me that you're not going to use it against me, okay? All right, so one of the things that I have, since, since I was a little kid, been really insecure about is, so I'm, I'm the youngest kid, I have two older siblings who are really cool and really well-liked. Um, my parents, if you, if you don't know, they were the founding pastors of this church. Uh, they helped, uh, they were some of the founding pastors at Vineyard Columbus, and they are, they are just known around the world, and people love them and respect them. And I have always had an issue of living in their shadow. Um, it's always been a thing for me. Um, I remember growing up, people would often introduce me as, hey, this is Danny's son. And they wouldn't even say my name. And it would just, it would, it would sting. It would really sting. And it still happens. And I've worked through a lot of this stuff. But every once in a while, it'll creep back in. And it'll be this thing like, I'm, I'm my own person. My name is JT. And I have, I have opinions. And I have, you know, I have things that I offer. My identity is, is you know, it's valid outside of my parents as well. And in fact, I remember when, when Michael approached me about working up here about five years ago, my first, uh, my first thought was, uh, I don't know. Like, I love this church, but I don't know if I want to be under my parents' shadow again. I worked really hard to kind of get out of their shadow. But uh, I think God, you know, convinced me otherwise and, and said, you know, what I want is more important than what you want. But it was hard. I, I, did, I, I, I did not like being in their shadow. And don't get me wrong. I, I really love my parents. I respect my parents. They have, they have, you know, impacted me tremendously. And I, you know, really look up to them. But it's, it's just hard constantly living in someone's shadow like that. And I remember, I, I've shared with, with most of you guys, you know my story that in my... <clears throat> You know, late teen years in college, I walked away from the Lord um, for, for a number of years. And I remember I had this, this really powerful experience where I uh, just reconnected with the Holy Spirit, and it was just so powerful. And I remember I, I thought, I need to get back into church. But the thought in my mind was, I don't want to get back involved in my same church. I want to get involved somewhere where I can be JT and not Danny's son or Penny's son. So I, I got involved in a church where I was. I was, I was known as JT. And there were some good things about that and some bad things about that. It was a mixed bag. But I think it ended up being really good for me because there was a pastor there named Simon. And Simon really, really, really influenced me. Um, he called things out in me that had, had died. He, he impacted my life. He, he challenged me. He gave me opportunity he, he, he just impacted me tremendously. And, and to tell you the truth, I don't know if I would be a pastor today if it wasn't for Simon's influence. For him, him calling things out on me, helping me grow. It was really impactful. He was a huge influence on my life. And, and to be honest, if I look back on my life, I have countless people who have influenced me. I can just look back and say, that person influenced me, that person influenced me, that person influenced me. Um, some big, some in really major ways, some in really small ways, you know, like a teacher that had a big impact on my life or, or a musician who really changed the way I play music or, or my parents or my siblings or a friend. But just I had so many people who really, really influenced me. And I begin to realize that I influence people, that I have an influence. What I say and what I do influences people. And you may be wondering if you influence people. Here's a good question to ask to determine whether or not you influence people. All right, so ask yourself this. Are are you a human person that comes into contact with other human people? If you can answer yes to that, then you have influence. See, the reason I have influence is not because I am really smart, because if that was the case, then we'd be in trouble. Um, or it wasn't, it's not because I'm, you know, cool or funny or whatever. It's because I interact with other people. When you interact with other people, you have influence. We all have influence, and some of you, some of you may not realize the influence you have. You may not feel like you are an influential person, but hear me, you have a bigger influence than you realize. You have a much bigger impact on people than you realize. I mean, obviously, if you are a parent, you have a huge impact. If you are a teacher or a coach or, or somebody's boss or anything like that, obviously, that you have influence, but... No matter what, if you interact with people, you have influence. I love this quote. This guy named Scott Adams, so I have to be honest, I don't know who he is, so he might be crazy, but I like this quote he says. He says, You don't have to be a person of influence to be influential. In fact, the most influential people in my life are probably not even aware of the things they've taught me. It's not the truth. Isn't that the truth? I think back in my life and the people who have really influenced me, yeah, there's some of those like, you know, mega church pastors and famous musicians and, and people of influence, but most of the people who have really influenced me are a buddy of mine or, you know, you know a, a neighbor or, you know, a coworker. Those are the people who have real impact. And that's, that's the truth for all of us. So the question is, the better question is not, do we have influence? The better question is, how do we use our influence? What do we do with the influence that we have? You know, the Bible, all through. Pro, there's this proverb that tells us that death and life are in the, in the power of our tongue. That what we say can either bring death to someone or life to someone. Essentially, what it's saying is we have the ability to be a positive influence or a negative influence. We have the the ability to help people grow and to become more who they are called to be, or we have the power to destroy and to hurt. We are influential people. So today, as we continue our series uh, called The Kings, I'm gonna be doing something a little bit different. I'm kind of cheating a little bit, uh, we're not going to be looking at a king today. Uh, we are going to be looking, well, we'll kind of look at a king, but mostly we're going to be looking at someone who influenced the king. We're going to be looking at someone who, because of his influence on the king, completely changed the whole nation. So we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Kings chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can open up to there. We'll also have it up on the on the screens too, and there's Bibles all over the place if you want one. And I'm just going to pray and invite the, the Lord here. So, Lord, we, we thank you for who you are. And, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I love that these aren't just old stories, but your, your, your word is alive. So we just ask that it speaks to us today. And we open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say, Lord. Amen. So we are going to be starting in this story, we're going to be looking at this queen named Athaliah. And Athaliah was the wife of the king Jehoram, And he was the king that we looked at last week. So if you were here last week, just to refresh your memory, he was this really evil king. Uh, He uh, ended up killing his brothers. Remember that? He killed his brothers to secure his, his place on the throne. Uh, and he just brought in all of these idols and was just not a very good king. And he ended up dying, and his son Ahaziah took over. Um, he took over for just a brief period of time, but when he died, the queen Athaliah took over. And Athaliah, if if Jehoram was evil, Athaliah takes it to an, another level. Because, so she, he killed all of his brothers, but she decides I'm going to kill the entire royal family. That includes children, grandchildren. Can you imagine killing your grandchildren? So we're going to start in in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. Remember, kids, grandkids. And she almost succeeds, but listen to what happens. It says, But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah, so he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. So basically, she killed every single member of the royal family except for one little boy named Joash. Joash was her grandson, the son of the prior king Ahaziah. And they were able to steal him away and hide him in the temple with this priest named Jehoiada. Um, and he was there for about six years. And we don't know much about the story of those six years, what happened. But where the story picks up is when he was seven years old, uh, Jehoiada has this plan in which he's gonna, he's gonna go and take Joash and present him to the people and say, this is the king. This is the real king. Um, And there's a problem with that, though. Uh, There's a queen who will want him dead. And there's a queen who's going to want Jehoiada dead. So what Jehoiada does is he goes to the royal guard who are sworn to protect the queen. He goes to the royal guard and basically uses scripture and says, you know what, you guys need to swear allegiance and make a covenant before God that you're going to protect Joash. And this, took, this was, you know, very, very brave because he had no idea how this royal guard was going to react. They could have just killed him on sight. They were there to protect the queen. So this, this was very risky for him to do this. But the royal guard agrees. And they say, okay, we'll do it. So that's where we're going to pick up the story where basically Jehoiada brings Joash to the temple and presents him to the people. So we'll start up in, in verse 12. It says, Jeho-, and this is a big chunk of scripture, so stay with me. It says, Jehoiada brought out the king's son and put the crown on him. He presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him and the people clapped their hands and shouted, long live the king. When Athaliah, the queen, heard the noise made by the guards and the people, she went to the people at the temple of the Lord. She looked, at where, uh, uh, and there was the king, standing by the pillar as the custom was. The officers and the trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people in the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Then Athaliah tore her robes and called out, Treason! Treason! Jehoiada the priest ordered the commanders of the unit of a hundred, who were in charge of the troops, bring her out between the ranks and put to sword anyone, put to the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest had said she must not be put to death in the temple of the Lord. So they seized her as she reached the place where the horses enter the palace grounds, and there was she was put to death. Jehoiada then made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. He also made a covenant between the king and the people. All the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and they tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols to pieces. This is a powerful story. It's like a, such a small story that I, I, most of us have never even heard, but isn't that a cool story? Basically, there's this, what happens is he, pre- he presents the king, this new king, this little seven-year-old boy, to the people. And then the queen comes out and just says, this is treason. And I don't know, but if I was Jehoiada, I'd at that point be like, what's the royal guard going to do? Are they going to keep their word? And they do. And they, they put her to death. And Joash takes the throne. And then they go destroy all of the idols that they had, they had built over the years. And they reestablish the temple of God. They went from being this evil nation that was getting more and more evil to a nation that was again pursuing God. All because Jehoiada was obedient. Jehoiada used his influence. Because of his influence, the whole nation changed. So how did he do it? What did he do to influence these people? I think he used three major influences to influence the people. And I think they're the same ways that we can influence people today. And the first thing that Jehoiada did and that we can do is influencing by speaking hard truths. Speaking hard truths. Saying what might be difficult to hear. I mean, can you imagine going to the royal guard not knowing if they're going to kill you on the spot and saying, you guys need to to serve this, this, this king? Or standing up before the Queen Athaliah and saying, You're not the rightful king or queen, he's the rightful king. Or, or saying, We're going to tear down these idols, even though you guys have grown to love them, that you've grown accustomed to them. We're going to tear them down. He was willing to say the hard thing, no matter the cost. And, and to be honest, this story could end with him going to the royal guard and them saying, nope, and you know chopping off his head, but it doesn't. But he didn't know that. Jehoiada was willing to say, this is wrong. This is wrong, no matter what it cost. To do and to speak hard truths, and we need to be able to do that as well. We need to be able to, to speak the truth to each other. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 tells us, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehoods and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. We need to speak truthfully. You know, be willing to say to your boss, who's maybe asking you to do something that's a little bit immoral or maybe a little bit less than truthful, to be able to say, I'm not going to do that. That's wrong. I don't feel comfortable with that, even though it might cost you a promotion. Or to say, you know what? I'm not going to work 100 hours a week. It's not healthy for my family, even though you might lose your job. Saying to a family member, you know, you made a covenant before God and your wife that you were going to be faithful to her. You need to go back to your wife even though they might not like that or maybe maybe you're single and maybe you know you're you're facing someone who's trying to get you to do things maybe physically that you don't that you know God doesn't feel comfortable with and you don't want to look stupid in front of that person but be willing to say no this is wrong this is not what God has for us even though it might be hard for you, maybe it means ending a relationship and be, and feeling lonely, being willing to say what is hard because it is true, whatever it is. you know I remember uh, a number of years back, I had someone who I was really close to do something that was really, really hurtful to me they like really they really hurt me, they wronged me they were they were in the wrong and it was I was very hurt by them and and I remember it, it was it was you know a long period of time with me just letting this stuff fester and it was just really hard and I and I had a close friend come up to me and say you know what the, what that person did to you was wrong it was it was really wrong but you know the biggest issue right now is not the effects of what that person did to you that you're unwilling to forgive them. And I was not nice. I said, Who do you think you are? You don't, you don't know what I have gone through. You don't know what it felt like to be me. You don't know what I've experienced. How dare you say that to me? And I may have said some words I didn't I wouldn't say up here. And and I went and sent, I remember sending him a text message that even just drilled it even further. And I was not nice. And I remember being at home and just it was stewing in my head. I was just stewing over these words that he said. And just I remember this voice came into my head that said, Maybe he's right. And, and to be honest, he was, he was 100% right. And I was able to forgive that person and move past those, that pain. That, that person called me, and I am so thankful that my friend was willing to take the brunt of my anger to stand up for truth, to influence me to grow closer to God and being willing to say the hard thing. And I've, I've apologized to that person a number of times, but I'm so thankful that he was willing to say the hard truth. Jehoiada was willing to say, "These idols are wrong. This queen is evil. He was willing to stand up for truth. And, and just take a minute. look at our culture right now. Look at our culture. There are so many things in our culture that our culture will say these things are okay, but we know that God and Scripture says, no, they're not okay. Right. There, in fact, there are many things that our culture will celebrate, will celebrate, will elevate up, but we know that they are not good things of the Lord. But just as an aside, gonna, I want to—I need to say this real fast. That's nothing new. That's not a new phenomenon. We—I have heard a statement so much about. Oh, we just need to get back to the good old days. Like there's the good old there's no good old days the world has always been evil the world has always been evil the culture has always uh, been evil and in fact there are some things that yes have gotten worse certain things have have gotten much worse but there are other things that have been redeemed there are other things that have been have gotten better i mean think about it if we talk about the good old days are we talking about the days when There are people that we are allowed to own, whereas certain people aren't allowed to vote. I mean, yeah, some things have gotten worse, but some things have gotten better. So this is nothing new. Culture has always been evil. And this is a touchy subject, guys, because whenever we hear a talk about standing up for truth and saying what is true, oftentimes, myself included, use that as an excuse to just be a jerk. Right? To say, oh, all right, now I'm going to get licensed to say what's been on my mind. And that's not what this is saying. Oftentimes, I'll hear Christians standing up for truth, and they sound like bullies. That's not what we're called to be. We're not called to use the word of God as a stick to beat people with. No. There's a study that came out where they asked all these people, what are the first two words they think, or what is the first word they think of when they think of the church? You know what the number one word was? That was the second one. Judgmental was number one. Hypocrite was number two. Isn't that sad? And some of that's unfair. Some of that's unfair. I mean, yeah, they don't, they don't see all the good things that the church does. They don't see the food pantries and the orphanages and all the good things. But, but some of it's very fair, and we have to own that. I mean, our greatest commandment, our greatest commandment when it comes to other people is to love, is to love. And sometimes speaking truth, saying what is hard, is, is the greatest form of love but we use the filter. Am I saying this because I love this person? Or am I saying this because I am judging this person? So if the, if the, if the attitude is judgment, then don't say it. If the attitude is love, then, then say it. Ephesians 4 tells us to speak the truth in love. And, he, and here's, here's a, a, another soapbox. And this is not my soapbox. So... This is Paul saying this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not supposed to judge those inside? It's none of our business. We're not called to just go around and saying, hey, everybody, do you want to know what we think is wrong? We think what they're doing is wrong. We think what they're doing is wrong. Like our Facebook page is not supposed to be a bunch of things that we don't like. Amen. Yeah. The church is just known so much for the things we're against. And there are times in our culture where we do need to stand up and say, this is wrong. And in fact, if, if you want to talk about this more, because we could talk about this all day, I, I invite you to that class about sharing your faith where we talk a lot about culture, because we'll be discussing this a lot more. But we're not supposed to be just going around speaking our minds about everything. We're called to be slow to speak and quick to listen, to use wisdom when we speak truth. And we're supposed to call, we're supposed to, to we're not supposed to judge outside this church, but that verse gives us license to judge within the church. And let me just say, if, this, if, you, if you don't like this, send your email to Paul, because Paul is saying it. It's not my opinion. No, but, but, but we're, we're, not, we're called to judge within the church. We're called to judge within the church. I give you permission that if you see me doing something sinful, to call me out. Because that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to stand up for truth with each other. Jehoiada was speaking to the people of God. He was speaking to the people of God, saying, This is wrong. Speaking hard truths can be very influential. Saying what is right and what is wrong can change, to, can change so much, but we have to do it with wisdom. And honestly, moving on to the second one, this, the second thing that I think we need to do that's even more influential that Jehoiada does is influencing by affirming what is good. Influencing by affirming what is good. Here's what I mean. God has a plan for everybody's life. God is always active in your life. Did you know that? And, and let me say this before I move on. I'll, this is not on my notes, but I really feel like the Lord told me that someone needs to hear this. You feel that God is a million miles away and that he's not doing anything in your life. But hear me today, he is active in your life. And I promise you, someday you're going to look back and think of April of 2017 and you're going to be like, man, I really see God's activity now. I see what he was doing. God is always acting and always doing something with people. And we have the ability, and we have the responsibility to encourage that. To say this is what God is doing in your life. This is what you were made for. This is who God made you to be. Jesus tells us in Matthew 13 that we are called to be salt and light. We're called to be salt and light. You know what's cool about salt and light? Is salt is useless unless it's helping something else. Right, We don't just eat a bunch of salt for dinner. Salt is used to enhance the flavor of something else. Salt, doesn't, salt makes steak taste better, doesn't it? Salt t- makes you know, vegetables taste better. Salt enhances the flavor of things. It helps, helps uh, things last longer. That's what we're called to do. We're called to enhance things in others. Light illuminates things. Do you know that light helps th- people grow? It helps plants grow. Light, light improves energy. Our, our moods, light, if you're in a bad mood, it can help you become in a good mood. Light and salt are, are change agents for the good. They're, they're called to help uh, things improve that's what we're called to do as the people of God and Jehoiada was able to do that Jehoiada was able to stand before this little boy Joash and say you are the king you are the king you were made to rule our people you weren't you weren't made to be put in, in hiding and to be to be stuck in a closet somewhere hiding away you were made to rule we have that same ability today to do that. We're called to do the same thing, to go to someone and say, you're a great teacher. You know, I love it when you teach our, our small group. It's, you're such a good teacher. Or, you know, you're a really good worship leader. Thank you for leading worship. You're really good at it. Or, you know, every time you pray for me, man, I just get a, a sense of the Holy Spirit. Like I just get overwhelmed with God's power when you pray for me. Or you're such a good host, you're you're so hospitable. Like I love coming over to your home, or or you know, you're such, you know, you're so compassionate. I love how you care about the last and the least and the lost, or you're a great listener. You're so easy to talk to and you're so wise. Thank you for listening to me. Those things can change people's lives. We don't say them nearly enough, do we? And I think it's for a variety of reasons. Sometimes we feel like they already know it. Or sometimes we're just so programmed not to say those things. But they can, they can have such an impact. I remember that Simon who I was telling you about, my, my old pastor, I remember I knew him for about two weeks. We were sitting at a coffee shop, and we've talked about this day since. And I remember him calling things out in me that had, had died. I'm saying, you are called to be a pastor. You are are called to do this and that. And he was just speaking into my life. And again, I don't know if I would be who I am today without him saying, this is who you are. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Hashtag church is important. It doesn't actually say that part. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're called to encourage. We're called to say, to spur one another on. To who we are called to be, to good deeds. God is always doing something in someone's life, and a great question is to say, how can I encourage what God is doing in this person's life? How can I come alongside what Jesus is already doing? You know who has influenced me in this area tremendously is my wife, Laura, who's in the back there. She's just so good at this, and I don't know if it comes naturally to her or she's worked on it, but she's just really good at calling out what is good in people. Like when she, this is just a thing, she has this motto that's, you know the motto that says, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all? She has the opposite motto, where it's, if you you have something nice to say, say it. If you think something nice about someone, say it. So we go around, and we'll, like every, literally, this is not an exaggeration, pretty much every time we go out somewhere, she's always saying something nice to someone, to complete strangers. Like, Sometimes really big things and sometimes really small things like you're, Hey, you're a really great server. Thanks for, thanks for serving us so well. Or, or, Hey, I love your shoes. Those are cool shoes, but she's always just saying something nice to people. Like I I know one time we were at the play place at Polaris and she walked over to this complete stranger and said, I love the way you parent. Like I love the way you talk to your kids. Like that stuff is so powerful. Like, think about, we live in such a negative world. Our culture is extremely negative. I mean, we just came out of, like, probably the most negative election in history. And the news is, is just completely negative most of the time. And even advertisement. You know, the basis of advertising is basically this. It's saying, there is something wrong with you unless you get our product. Like you're not smart enough unless you get this. Or you're not thin enough unless you get this. Or you're not beautiful enough. Or you're not, you know, cool enough. Or you're not this enough unless you do this. Think about how many advertisements we see and read and hear and watch throughout just a day. How many negative statements? How many statements that we hear that you are not good enough in one day? The power of speaking positive things into an incredibly negative society has tremendous value. Harvard Business Review says it takes five positive statements to reverse one negative statement. I mean, and that's the truth. I mean, how many job reviews have you had where they say, hey, you're good at this, you're good at this, you're good at this, not so good at this, you're good at this, and the only thing you remember is the thing that you're not good at. Everything is telling us what is wrong with us. Think about the power of saying, this is what's right with you. This is what's good about you. Jehoiada saying to Joash, you are the rightful king. You you were made to rule. Finally, moving on to, to the last area of influence. And I think, honestly, the most important one is influencing by walking the walk by letting our actions speak. It's one thing to say you believe something. It's another thing to demonstrate it. We can speak about our values, but what really communicates is what are called felt values, what people experience from you, what people just watch you do. We are called to live it out. John Wooden, former coach of UCLA, one of the best coaches of all time, one of the most winningest coaches of all time. He says, the most powerful leadership tool you have is your own personal example. The most powerful leadership tool we have is the way we live, the way we act. Jehoiada not only said the hard things and said the good things and said that he trusted God, but he demonstrated it. He acted out on it. I love, I I think one of the biggest examples we have for this in this story is that he went and destroyed the idols and reestablished the temple. Without saying a word, what he basically did was, remember the temple in the Old Testament was the dwelling place of God. It was the place where God's presence resided. So without, without speaking a word, what he communicated was, I don't trust the things of this world. I don't put my hope in the things of this world. I pr- put my trust in God and his presence. Jehoiada didn't just talk the talk, but he walked the walk. We're called to, to, to do the same thing. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. People are watching. People see what we do. People are, are taking note of the way that we act, the way that we love. If our actions match our words. Jane Austen says it isn't what we say or think that defines us, but what we do. It's the truth. Like we were saying earlier. Christians, the second most common thing we're known as, is a, are hypocrites. And oftentimes, it's because we say one thing, but we do another. Or we say, hey, the Bible says this, this is bad, but even though the Bible says this, we don't really talk about that one. People are watching us, and our greatest tool is not what we say, but what we do. I mean, if you're a parent, you know this. Your kids watch what you do. And they, they repeat it. So if you communicate to your kids something like, hey, don't put your feet on the table, but you've put your feet on the table, they'll put their feet on the table. Or hey, it's important to buckle up when you're in the car, but you don't buckle up. They're going to see that. What are you really communicating? Or even spiritual things. If you say, hey, Jesus is, is the most important thing in the world. But you like you don't you rarely come to church and you're rarely reading your Bible and you, you don't really pray and you know you indulge in certain things that aren't you know aren't good. What are you really communicating? Our kids are watching the same thing, not just our kids but our coworkers, our friends. I, I remember um, at my old job, I had uh, I had a boss who, he wasn't the greatest boss in the world. I'll say it, that's the the nicest way to say it. Um, And I remember everyone used to just gossip about him and talk trash about him. Um, And I would try really hard not to, because I wanted to be a good witness. I wanted to not indulge in that. But I remember one day, I just totally indulged and was like, oh man, you know what he did the other day? He did this, and I saw him do this, and he doesn't know what he's doing, blah, 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 blah. And I remember going home and just feeling so guilty. So guilty and just feeling I, I blew it. I totally blew it. And I remember God saying, "You didn't blow it. You have an awesome opportunity now to demonstrate how to ask for forgiveness and how to be humble." And I was like, "Are you sure?" And he's like, "You do." And, I, and I, the next day I did that, and they, I mean, no one really said anything in the moment, but I remember afterwards, like way later, one of my coworkers came to me and said, that one day when you did that, that really impacted me. Like, to see you willing to say I was wrong was really cool. Like, that was really cool. Like, we don't have to be perfect. Walking the walk doesn't mean that we, you know, never can make a mistake, guys, so, you know... Don't do any mistakes, but we just try our best, and when we blow it, we ask for forgiveness. And we model what it looks like to, to say, hey, I'm an imperfect person trying to serve a perfect God. We have the ability to lead and to change with, with just our actions. What's the old saying that, that actions speak louder than words, Right? I love, I love the, the, the quote, to preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. We have a choice today, not just with our actions, but what we say. With all of this, we have a choice today to, to decide what we are going to do with our influence. And let me end by saying this. So when we read Scripture, uh, this is really important. This changed my life. So if, if you can write this down, because this really changed. when we read scripture, there are three levels in which we we interpret the Bible. We look at it. The first one is this: we look at it for what it for what it says. We interpret it in that, like you know, what does this tell us about these people? What does this tell us about who humanity is? What does this tell us about who God is? And we interpret it, and we let it become. You know, knowledge, and knowledge is really good. And the second thing that we do is we apply it. This is And this is where I think we often stop. We don't apply it to our life. We'll read something that's really powerful, or we'll hear a sermon that we're like, oh, that's good, and that's true, but we don't let it change us. So when we read scripture, we say, if this is true, then how do I need to respond how do I need to be obedient to this? So today, maybe it's maybe it's God saying to you, you need to stand up for truth with your with your family member who's you know doing such and such, or or you need to speak good into people more often, like your you know your neighbor. You need to tell them that that they're always so nice, or whatever it is, or maybe it's you know the third one that you need to. You know, at work, you're not really being a good witness. You need to walk the walk, too, and not just talk the talk. So we need to apply it. We need to not let it just stay in our head, but say, God, what are you calling me to do? But the third one is where I think it's the coolest. So if you don't hear anything else that I said, hear this thing. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Do you know that? The New Testament, obviously, it's, it's, we think oftentimes the New Testament is after Jesus came and it all points to him, but the Old Testament does too. Old Testament, I believe, is all pointing to Jesus. So, so think about this story. This story is about a, a people that lost their way. A people that abandoned God and turned to idols. That were under oppression from this Evil oppressor who is just raining down on them death and and, and hardship. But along comes the son of the king, the only son of the king, who defies death, who takes the throne to free these people from the oppression of the sin and the idolatry and of this evil ruler and says, I am the rightful king. It's a picture of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to a world that had abandoned him, turned their back on God, turned their back on him, and turned towards countless idols. And were under the oppression of sin and death. But the only son of the king came and defied death to take, the, to take the throne and say, I am the ruler. I've come to save you and rule. And the only thing that we have to do is the same thing that they had to do in this story. In this story, the people had to say, okay, I'm turning from that queen to you, king. And I'm turning from these idols to you. And we have that same choice today to say, I'm turning away from the things I've put my hope in, and I'm placing it in you, the king who defied death. So I want to give us the opportunity today. If you have never done that, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So can we bow our heads? And I'm going to just say a simple prayer. And if you have never accepted Jesus as your king and as your savior, I want to give you that opportunity. Because just like these people, they could have easily turned back to their queen or to their idols, but they turned to the rightful king. So Jesus, we just say right now that we turn from the things that we have placed our hope in. I turn from the things that just I know are going to let me down. And I put my faith in you, the king of the world, my savior, and I accept what you did on the cross. You saved me from the oppression of sin and death. If you said that prayer with me, can you just raise your hand? If you said that for the first time, raise your hand, yeah. Bless you. Anyone else? Raise your hand. Bless you. Why don't we, why don't we lift our heads? We can stand. Here's how I want to end. You know, when we talked about how in the Old Testament the presence of God resided in the temple, uh, do you know where the, the presence of God resides now? With us. So, so because of what the king did on the cross, now we get to encounter the presence of God that saves us, that heals us. And so simply today, what I want to I invite people up who are facing Physical pain, if you have pain in your body, sickness, chronic disease, chronic hurt or pain, or even small things, I want to invite you up to, to experience the presence of God that can heal. And I also want to invite people up, um, I kept on getting the word identity, that you are facing a, a, something in your life where you're questioning, what is my real identity, what are you what is what is at the core of what you've called me to do, God? And it might be job related or ministry related or family related. I don't know, but it's the, the word identity kept on coming to my head. so if if you want to experience the presence of God, if you want freedom from something, from physical pain, emotional things, I want you to come up and receive prayer. And as people come up, if we want to just lay our hands on their shoulder and say a simple prayer over them and invite the Holy Spirit. Um, but we're going to worship. We're going to sing one more song. So if you, if you don't respond and come to the front, I just encourage you to sing along. But don't be shy. Just make your way to the front.
1: Now are you hurting? Are you hurting, broken, thin? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come. Oh, come to the altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was brought with the precious blood of jesus christ oh come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ
0: Lord, we, we just thank you for your precious blood That forgiveness was bought with your precious blood, Lord we thank you for what you accomplished on the cross and that you, you rose again and that you are the risen king. That you are the true king, Lord. And we, we right now, today, just just as we, we, we probably have said this before, Lord, but we turn from all the idols, we turn from everything that has been on the throne of our life and we put our eyes on you and say you are the rightful king. Lord, so I pray that you give us the ability to live out this stuff that you've called us to live, that we know we can't speak the hard truths or, or see what is good or, or to, to, to live out the life you've called us to live without your presence, Lord, without your power, that we will fall so short. So, Lord, I ask you to empower us to do what you've called us to do, Lord. We praise your name. Amen.